It's Monday, November 28th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, lots going on in the free agent market, uh, a lot of moves being made. Uh, the most recent uh, that kind of affects the Guardians uh, in a way, uh, Jose Abreu, uh, looks like he's heading to the Astros. Uh, the Astros are, are, are going to sign Abreu, uh, a guy that you know, maybe if the if the Guardians were thinking of going out and spending a little bit of money and, and trying to entice a, a right-handed hitting bat uh, that could play first base, uh, Brayu might have might have you know, some people thought might have fit well with the Guardians. Uh, it also you know takes him out of the American League Central where uh, he he beat up on Cleveland for for many years. But uh, uh, the rich get richer if uh, if Houston is indeed signing Jose Abreu. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the Indians were very much in in on Abreu, Joe, from what I've heard. Um, you know, they they were, you know, Houston, you know, reportedly has signed him to a three-year deal. I think uh, Cleveland was willing to go three years. I don't know what, you know, the money is. I, I still haven't found out what the money in, involved was, but this was, uh, you know, a guy they, they liked. You know, obviously... <clears throat> If anybody knows Jose Abreu, it's Cleveland. They've faced him, what, 19 times a year for the last, what, 19, nine, uh, last nine years, 10 years. They know, uh, you know, what he can do. They know he's a, a, a clubhouse presence. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, and this is this is an area they of need. You know, they need, uh, you know, they need power. They need production at first base or DH. And he filled, he would have filled both those roles. Yeah, uh, you know, and and one of the areas he could have uh, also helped, not just on the field, but uh, certainly in the clubhouse, as uh, you know, in, in a leadership role, he he could have at least swung the uh, the the age curve uh, in uh, in you know a little <laughs> more older. That they might not have been the youngest uh, roster in in all of baseball with uh, Abreu at at age thirty five, uh, if if they had been able to sign him, but. Uh, yeah, it, it does take him out of the division, and like you said, they they face him what 19 times a year. Uh, this is a guy who, in his career against Cleveland, 253 average, 85 RBIs, 27 home runs in 150 games. Uh, I, I I mean, and and uh, what a 774 OPS. Uh, he just seemed to come through every time and, and come up with uh, with big hits against Cleveland. Uh, when when the White Sox needed him, yeah, big RBI guy. He, you know, the one thing that concerned me a little, Joe, is you know his power dropped and his production dropped. Uh, you know, kind of drastically last year. He went from uh, or last season he went from thirty to fifteen home runs, from you know hundred plus RBIs to seventy five. You know, this past season, but he's still, you know, this is still a guy that. You know, had over 600 played appearances. I mean, uh, 600 at bats, I should say. You know, played every day. You know, you can stick him in the middle of the lineup and and not worry about him. And you know, just kind of he's he he was to me he's the presence that they're looking for that that the Guardians needed. You know, for like you said, with a team as young as they are, you know, he would have been a perfect match. Uh, you know, to put you know play first base or DH and hit him right behind uh, Jose Ramirez. And uh, you know, just kind of have him in that lineup, 150 games a year. Yeah, that's uh, and and now he goes to Houston and and just makes an already deep lineup even deeper over there. 
Yeah, and you know, I guess this shows maybe you know if it's not Jose Abreu, you know, we we certainly if this is an indication of the way uh, Cleveland is going, you know, I, we can look at some other uh, you know free agent first baseman and DH type players that that could help this club and that they probably targeted. Uh, more news. Uh, you had a, a report on Mike Clevenger. Um, uh, close to, or I, I don't know, did he already sign? He was close to signing with the White Sox. Uh, that's the, the rumor. Uh, so free agent out of San Diego, uh, former Cleveland pitcher, Mike Clevenger, uh, to the White Sox last season, uh, made 23 starts in a, in a year coming off of, uh, uh, uh elbow reconstruction, uh, another, uh, a second elbow reconstruction for Clevenger. Uh, he started 22 games. Uh, 4.33 ERA went seven and seven, got 114 and a third innings in and struck out 91 batters. Uh, uh, Clevenger coming back to the American League Central, where uh, he'll get to, you know, face teams like Detroit and Kansas City that he dominated, uh, you know, when he was with Cleveland, uh, and now we'll we'll get to see him uh, multiple times a year uh, with the White Sox. Yeah, you know, and. Uh... Kind of a, a one-year deal, I think. Uh, you know, I've seen prices, the money between eight and twelve million. Uh, you know, it just seemed like they, tr- the Cleveland traded this guy, didn't it? Didn't it, Joe? I mean, in uh, you know what, in two thousand twenty, and uh, now he's you know he's a free agent right away. You know, like you said, coming off Tommy John, he missed the uh, missed the two thousand twenty-one season. Uh, came back this year. Uh, you know, velocity was down a little bit, but. You know, I think he's, he, you know, he kind of fits in that, you know, he gives uh, the 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 uh, White Sox a pretty strong rotation, you know, behind Cease, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, uh, Mike Kopech, uh, you know, just, uh, an, you know, really, uh, if he's healthy, he's going to be a solid uh, contributor and he's going to help the White Sox. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Indian, I mean, the Guardians, you know, handle him. The, the thing that always struck me about Clevenger, Joe, is from 2016 to 2020, when when Cleveland had him, this guy went 42 and 22 with the 3.20 ERA in 101 games, 88 starts. I mean, you know, that's that's a solid resume. And, you know, obviously, I, I guess he kind of paid a price, you know, as soon as they traded him. In 2020, he only made like four or five starts and had Tommy John. But, uh, you know, this is a quality starter if he's healthy. Yeah, he, he's a guy who, when he faces Cleveland, will be motivated to to, to do well, obviously. Uh, I think uh, that's, that's just a natural thing. But uh, he's a guy who he can get you deep in games and he's, he can be a, a workhorse. And he was uh, a very productive piece for those rotations those really good rotations in Cleveland uh, in 2017, 2018. He was, he was there and, and, and a part of all that. Uh, May 4th, the first game of a doubleheader against San Diego back uh, this past season. Uh, he started the game, went four and two-thirds innings, uh, gave up three runs on four hits, struck out four, walked three. Uh, but after that, he, he had his... Uh, you know, he settled in and, and figured things out and, and had a good season uh, after that. I, I, I just marvel at the fact that he started 23 games last year, uh, was able to get there. So, uh, you know, just another guy uh, that, that we'll keep an eye on, we're familiar with, and, and we'll look forward to seeing him. And 
obviously we'll have plenty to write about this year when the, uh, the when the White Sox come to town. Yeah, you know, uh, interesting, uh, you know, he came back, like you said, made 20, 22 starts, but he got knocked around in the postseason. Um, two and two-third innings, seven runs, nine hits, you know, in, in uh, San Diego's uh, run, you know, postseason run this October. And I don't know, maybe just, um, you know, coming back from t- uh, Tommy John, you know, maybe he wasn't fully ready and maybe that, you know, the, the uh, length of the season caught up to him, but really an interesting uh, addition to to the White Sox. They needed starters, especially with, you know, you know Johnny Cueto uh, becoming a free agent. And Cueto, I thought, did a great job for, for the White Sox. It's kind of a midseason pickup, didn't you, Joe? Oh, yeah, he was he was excellent and he was he was tough. Uh, when, when Cleveland faced him, he was, he was tough on other teams in the division. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much he's got left in the tank too. Yeah, definitely. You know, so I guess, you know, you could say Clevenger kind of replaces Cueto and, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see where Cueto ends up. All right. Uh, speaking of seeing where they end up, uh, uh, Justin Verlander talking to the Dodgers is the, is the rumor now, uh, (laughs) Could it be that Justin Verlander winds up uh, going to L.A. and and making their already uh, deep pitching rotation even deeper? Jeez, oh, man. I mean, <laughs> the Dodgers just get anybody they want. They're like the Yankees, you know. Hey, yeah. uh, we'd like to we'd like Justin Verlander. OK, give him what he wants. You know what? Whatever. He, you know, he, the guy's 39 years old. How is it? Does it take a three year deal to get him, Joe? I mean, this guy's getting he wants to pitch till he's 45. I mean, I mean, is he Tom Brady? That's that. That's the whole thing. Is <laughs> he, you know, say say he wants to play until he's 50. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, you know, and I'm sure, you know, the Dodgers are kind of, you know, probably have their radar up. Uh, You know, they know how uh, tight Verlander is with uh, Jim Crane, the the Astros owner. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they don't want to be the stalking horse here and, you know, set the table or set a price and have Verlander go back to Houston. So it's kind of it's going to be really interesting to uh, see. You know, if if just how serious the Dodgers are, and you know, if they make a an offer, do they put you know a time limit on it? You know, do you say okay, you know, here it is. This is what if this is what you want, we'll give you this, but you've got to take it in in two days or something like that. What is the what do you think the chances that Verlander signs before the winter meetings start, or do you, do you think that this plays out into the winter meetings and, and a deal doesn't get done until after that? You know, I think, that, you know, those veteran guys, I think they like to get it done early, Joe. So they're not, you know, they're not, you know, twisting in the wind so much. Uh, you know, they like to, uh, you know, they like to uh, know where they're going to, where they're going to live, where, you know, get their, uh, their spring training and their, their uh, apartments set up. Uh, and uh, I would think, you know, if, if, if it's not done before the, before the winter meetings, it'll get done during the winter meetings. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll pick up more on the winter meetings here uh, in the in the coming week uh, as those get set to to take place uh, beginning Sunday in uh, San Diego. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about what happens at the winter meetings and you know what to expect at this year's meetings uh, later on this week. Uh, now I want to get into uh, just over the weekend on Sunday we had the announcement uh, last week the Cleveland chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America. Uh, met and had our annual luncheon, and we voted on our local awards. And uh, every year we give out 
uh, two awards, the the Man of the Year Award, the Bob Feller Man of the Year Award, and the uh, Steve Olin uh, Good Guy Award, uh, the Man of the Year emblematic of the sort of the player of the year for the organization, uh, for the, the big league club, and the Good Guy Award open to really anybody uh, w- uh, with the team, associated with the team, who uh, just really sort of handled himself with the media really well, was approachable, and 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 was uh, just a good guy to talk to and, and, and be around uh, throughout the year. Uh, let, let's start with the uh, the Man of the Year award. Uh, that uh, it was it was pretty clear cut uh, who was going to win it, but uh, you know we had to go through the the formalities of the vote. Uh, we took nominations. I think uh, uh, there were a, a few: uh, Stephen Kwan, Cal Quantrill, uh, and uh, Shane Bieber were nominated. But in the end, it was a unanimous vote that Jose Ramirez, uh, for the second straight year, second straight unanimous uh, vote, that Jose Ramirez uh, wins the Bob Feller Man of the Year award. Uh, what did you think of the, the the selection of of Jose as the Man of the Year? Yeah, I thought we had really a good discussion on Jose. I thought you put it perfectly in your story about him. Uh, you know, with as as great as the season was. Um, you know, that the Guardians just had, you know, kind of an unexpected out-of-nowhere season, 92 wins, AL Central championship, uh, you know, going into two rounds and getting to two rounds into the postseason. None of that would have been possible or, you know, it would have been a lot tougher unless, you know, Jose kind of kicked the whole thing off by agreeing to stay and and uh, in Cleveland and signing basically – you know, his a, a career, his, you know, uh, signing the, you know, agreeing to stay in Cleveland for the rest of his career by signing a seven year, $141 million deal at just at the start of the season. Because if, if they don't, tra- if they, if they don't sign him, Joe, they probably trade him, you know, before opening day. And, and we're looking at a whole kind of different season. But, you know, Jose decided to stay. You know, he was an integral part of that that whole uh, that team, the lineup. Uh, he kind of and you know the, that whole young group of players kind of rallied around him. And uh, you know, you got what you got. But if the Jose doesn't, you know, make that commitment early in the season, you know, who knows what happens? You're right. And and then uh, there was not just that decision, not just uh, you know that move and that signing, but then later on in the year he made another decision. Uh, when he had suffered the the torn thumb ligament and was in pain and and could have had surgery that would have probably ended his season right there uh, in June, uh, Jose came into uh, to Tito's office and and said something to the effect of not only am I uh, you know not having the surgery but you're going to put me in the lineup tomorrow and I'm going to play every day and, and he did in in spite of you know suffering and 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 not feeling a hundred percent. For the rest of the year, uh, he came in, played every day, did the maintenance on his hand that he needed to do, did the did the the work to to be able to post up every day, and and really showed the guys in that clubhouse and the young guys in that clubhouse, hey, if this is what we're about, then this is what you've got to do. And uh, you know, even just as much as 29 home runs and 20 steals and 126 RBIs, uh, just his presence was really what made him the man of the year. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's kind of like, you know, he he helped, he kind of really changed his season or came, 
carried the season on in two different ways, you know, at the beginning of the season and then in June when he made that decision to forego surgery and, uh, you know, keep playing. Yeah, it's it, the, the narrative around Jose Ramirez this year uh, was is as it, it, he's he's building the statue for himself, you know, from the <laughs> ground up. It, it really uh, every every one of these seasons that he keeps having is just another, uh, uh, you know, another sort of chip into the uh, into the pile. There, it's it's building and it's building, and one of these days uh, when you walk in that gate, there's going to be a Jose statue standing right there. Uh, whether or not it has a helmet on its head will be uh, will be another another story entirely. Uh, so easy decision, uh, you know. Jose Ramirez, unanimous choice for uh, Man of the Year. But uh, you know, what were some of the other reasons why uh, you know a guy like a Cal Quantrill or a guy like a Stephen Kwan or uh, a Shane Bieber uh, were also you know at least worthy of consideration and to get their names thrown out there as guys to be considered for Man of the Year. Well, you know, Quan, of course, you know, I think everybody knows just a great season. He took over the leadoff spot. He, uh, you know, played gold glove uh, defense in left field, uh, you know, just a, as a rookie, you know, third in the rookie of the year voting, uh, you know, really kind of just like the season. He came, he came out of nowhere and, you know, just became, you know, a full-fledged big leaguer by what, by June, you know, Francona said, Terry Francona was saying, you know, yeah, he's a rookie, but in reality, he's not a rookie. He's playing like, you know, a veteran player. And, you know, Quantrill, you know, led the team with 15 wins. It's just a solid, you know, kind of workhorse starter behind, you know, Savali and McKenzie. And, you know, and you know, just, you know, those two guys, even Rosario, Ahmed Rosario, just uh, had, you know, just another solid season, just kind of, you know, led the team in hits, uh, you know, really played almost every day at at shortstop and he gave you solid defense. So there was a lot of contributors, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of contenders for that award. But in the end, you know, it, it was, you know, it was Ramirez, you know, Ramirez emerged. Yeah, it wasn't really a, a tough debate there. It was a pretty easy decision. Uh, as far as the good guy award goes, uh, this is an award that, you know, we, we could, we could hand out to a player. We could hand it to, uh, a coach or to Tito or, or I, I believe during the pandemic season, uh, we, we gave the award to the, uh, the communications department, the, the baseball operations, uh, uh, department, Bart Swain and, uh, and, and Corberry Tripp and, and Austin, uh, Contrillis, uh, just the, the effort that they put in, but, in the end, this is, you know, you want to give it to a, a player who really stepped forward and, and sort of showed that maturity and that uh, that just approachability that, that we all appreciate as as reporters. And and Mc, Tristan McKenzie really was that guy this year. He he never backed down even after a, a bad start. He'd come out and, uh, you know, would answer your questions. And it was put to us that, you know, if if it was if you needed something from Tristan, if you needed to talk to him and it was his day to pitch or it was his day to go go throw on the side and he couldn't get to you, he always made sure you got what you needed at some point. He'd always check back with you. And and this is a guy who, you know, he's he's developing into, uh, you know, a really good quote and and he'll talk about his teammates and he will, uh, you know, talk about what what he needs to do to get better and, 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 and he'll give you the fun stuff too. 
uh, and, and he's not afraid to do that. Uh, a lot of these guys are are sometimes a little guarded, uh, you know, for good reason because they've been burned in the past. Uh, Tristan won't won't be too won't be show, so shy that he won't give you, uh, you know, just a glimpse at some of the fun stuff once in a while. You know, it has to do with the fact that half of these guys are, are barely old enough to to buy a beer for themselves. But uh, I think that the, the the maturity that Tristan displayed uh, this season certainly went a long way and left an impression on the reporters. And and he was an easy pick uh, for uh, the good guy award this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Joe. Um, I like what uh, Mandy Bell said she, from MLB.com. She said he was talking. She wanted to talk to uh, uh, Tristan one time. He was he was uh, talking to his mom on his on the fo- on his phone on his iPhone, and he and he had to say, "Mom, I've got to, I've got." <laughs> I'll call you back. There's a reporter here that wants to talk to me. So I I, I like that fact that, you know, uh, that, that I, I'm not sure Tristan's mom appreciated it, but, you know, that I just I think that was fun. That was a fun, uh, fun, a uh, fun fact to hear. Yeah. Other people uh, that we uh, other players that we considered for the award, uh, Austin Hedges, who, you know, was just a, a leader from the moment he arrived uh this season and and really just sort of everybody in the clubhouse looked to him when there was a big moment when somebody needed to step up and say something he was that guy uh i remember out in what uh out in anaheim when uh brian shaw was uh it was his uh he was vested uh he was 10 years i believe in the league uh when they had the the closed locker room meeting and they gave him a an old bottle of scotch and they, you know, had some, some kind words for him. It was Austin Hedges that stepped forward and, and gave that speech. Uh, Hedges, uh, just a great guy. Uh, and, and you remember the, the signature moment of the season for, uh, for Hedgie was, uh, what the, the play at the plate where he was ruled to have, have blocked the plate. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was waiting for us in the locker room afterwards because at pacing in front of his locker, because he wanted to talk and he, he, he gave a little speech and he knew it was going to make headlines and, and he wanted to make sure that, you know, everybody, uh, you know, knew what was on his mind at the time. So, uh, you know, a, a great guy to talk to, uh, and also, uh, Stephen Kwan, uh, very approachable, uh, always, you know, the, the, the spotlight that he was under in the first month of the season, uh, as a rookie, uh, handling all of that press and all the attention that he was getting, uh, handle it like uh, a 10-year pro. Uh, I thought uh, Hedges and Quan were were definitely also worthy of the award. Yeah, Hedges was great. Great quote, you know, deep understanding of the pitching staff. And I like the fact that, you know, he, he popped off when uh, you got called for, you know, blocking the plate, uh, you know, took a run, uh, you know, uh, they, you know, a run went on the board against the Guardians where the guy was clearly out. And uh, he got fined for it, and then he put the letter from uh, from from I, I forget uh, from the American League, uh, uh, you know, represent, you know, I'm, I'm well, he, from the American League that uh, you know that he had been fined like seventy five hundred bucks, and uh, he put he taped it next to his locker, and it stayed there the rest of the year. So he, I think he was kind of proud of that, Joe. Yeah, as a, a badge of honor because. Uh, you know, teammates were walking by during that interview and and giving him encouragement as he was saying it. So I, I remember uh, a couple of quotes from that. 
Uh, also considered for the Good Guy Award, uh, besides Quan and Hedges and McKenzie, uh, Cal Quantrill, uh, who was was a great quote, uh, really easy to talk about his his teammates, uh, and Terry Francona, who uh, you know came back and and had uh, you know after missing parts of the previous two seasons had a a full season, and we really got the sense that he appreciated uh, his interactions with the reporters on a daily basis. Uh, and, and the jobs that that both he did and that we do uh, sort of together. Uh, I, I did forget uh, for the Bob Feller Man of the Year Award, uh, also considered as nominees, Andres Jimenez and Emmanuel Classe, both of whom were all-stars and were, uh, you know, just had fantastic seasons in their own right, really breakout seasons for both of them. Uh, Classe leading the American League in, uh, leading baseball in uh, saves, and uh, and Jimenez uh, really uh, winning a Gold Glove and uh, solidifying himself as a you know a, a marquee second baseman in the American League uh, throughout the season. Uh, so yeah, those are those are the awards. Uh, our, our our job here for the uh, the 2022 season is done. Uh, who do you think? Give me a dark horse candidate to win Man of the Year for the Guardians next year. That's a great. That's a good question. Um... Let's see, man of the year. Let's see. Um, you know, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Quan. You know, I don't know, but he's not a dark horse. I don't think. You know, I don't. But let's. But but you know, I. You know, I, if he repeats what he did this year, he's certainly not a dark horse. But maybe maybe Josh Naylor. Let's say Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor or Quan. Uh, I would say a dark horse candidate for man of the year. Maybe Oscar Gonzalez. Let's see oh, if that's he can a go. Good point. Let's see if he can go rail to rail, uh, starting and playing and dominating in in right field. Uh, and if he can do that, he might just be the the uh, the man of the year for the uh, for the Guardians next year. All right, Hoynes, that's going to wrap up today's edition of the uh, Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.